Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Freezing Time with me, Sophia Money Coots, created by Offscript. So this is the uterus here, mm-hmm. cervix, and this sort of line here, this thin line, that's the lining of the womb. So Fine. anything less than five millimetres at this at this point in time yeah. means that the lining is thin enough to start relaying a new healthy okay. endometrium. And that's 1.8. Great. Great. <laughs> And now to look the ovaries, which are the white one is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and a tiny twelve. Fine, okay. There. So still twelve actually. Good. It can, it does fluctuate. Yeah. And your left ovary, can you see? Yeah. Here. 10 and 12. So 22. Very okay. good, good numbers. So does that mean technically I could get 22 eggs? Hmm. Probably get asked this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of the follicles are there have reached their antral follicle stage. They might still be a little bit immature. Okay. So often they just will not respond to the stimulation hormones. Sure. But you expect the majority of them to grow. Good. Hello. I'm Sophia Money Coots. I'm 35, single, and I'm freezing my eggs. In this podcast, I'm taking you through the story of my own egg freezing, as well as talking to experts and women who've gone through it. If you haven't listened to the first few episodes of this podcast, then some of that last clip might not make much sense. So I recommend starting at episode one and going from there to follow my journey as it happened. So far, we've covered the stigma around freezing, the other options when it comes to whether or not to have children, and in the last episode, you heard that fairly brutal counselling session where I went deep on how egg freezing has made me feel. Loads of lols in that one. Anyway, in this episode, I finally get started on the injections that will stimulate my eggs and make them grow. And I speak to two very impressive women at the forefront of the campaign to extend the current 10-year limit on storing frozen eggs in Britain. At the top of the episode, You heard me have my first scan since getting my period, after just over two weeks of taking the nasal spray every morning and evening, and the tiniest of tantrums over having to wait a whole week longer than I thought I would for the appointment. The eggs that are collected at the end of the treatment each grow in a separate follicle. Imagine little egg cups on your ovaries, that's how I picture them. And in that appointment, the exciting news was that the nurse found 22 follicles growing in total, which is nearly double the number I had at my fertility test a year earlier. Basically, what this means is that my body was responding well to the injections. Although, as the nurse said, it still didn't mean that I get 22 eggs, because you can't tell exactly how many will mature. Still, I found it pretty encouraging, and dropped producer Hannah a voice note with an update about something very important. I always worry that my feet smell at that moment. <laughs> it's, I, really, I know it's really not the thing that you should be worrying about, but when you're lying there, your bottom at the edge of the seat, and your feet are up really close to their face, that is what I worry about if I've just worn like a stinky old pair of trainers to the 
clinic it's always been quite a concern of mine so I yeah I normally try and remember to wear like socks or basically not hideous old shoes whenever I go for a smear test or to one of these appointments sorry but after all my misery in the last episode I thought you could do with some levity and it's a thing though does nobody else worry about this when they have their legs in the stirrups so having had the scan I picked up the packages containing the drugs and needles that will make all my eggs grow in their follicles. The drug which I'd have to inject myself with every day for two weeks comes as a powder with a separate vial of sterile water and it has to live in the fridge before it gets mixed up to be injected. Living with my sister and her young family in lockdown meant that I had stiff competition for fridge space when I got back from the clinic. Hello. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this fridge is pretty full. Put them in the vegetable drawer. They're going to even fit in the vegetable drawer. Yes, there we go. Move the lemons. Here. Right, that goes neatly in. Next is the spring onions. There we go. <laughs> All tucked up safely in the fridge. Success! And although I'd already told producer Hannah all about my stinky feet, I wanted to jump on a Zoom call with her to do a proper debrief after my scan and my exciting fridge rearrangement. It's weird. It, I, I, was, I, don't know, I don't know how it could have been dramatic, but I was expecting it to be sort of super dramatic. And actually, it feels like I just went in and had a sort of smear test and they've sent me away with my boxes of incredibly expensive drugs. So, yeah, all good, really. Yeah. What you expected to kind of like, oh, my God, this is it. It's begun. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. It's sort of a bit of a fanfare, I suppose. Um, <laughs> And yet nobody in the clinic had trumpets. So that was weird. Kerry, the nurse, was lovely. She gave me another demonstration of injecting because I was quite nervous. I'd forgotten all that. Yeah. Um, and the needle, or I mean, it's it's probably an inch or so. It's big enough. Um, so I'll do that before bed basically every evening. And how much fluid is there that, that goes in? So, I'm, it, so it changes um, depending on the strength, which will vary over the next couple of weeks probably. But I'm starting off on 225... Uh, it's not millilitres, it's 225 something. I need to look it up. The measurement, she was like, it's not millilitres. Because 225 mil is like an entire cup of tea, isn't it? Like a, sm- a small cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> 330 mils is a can of Coke, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's 225, it's one of those little scientific, like, IU. Do you remember that in science? I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what it means, though. <laughs> no, we need a scientist or Dr. James or somebody. Yeah. It turns out, by the way, The measurement IU stands for international units, which is specific to each drug. But I reckon my dosage was just over a teaspoon. I've got two boxes and it comes with a tiny little vial of powder and then two syringes of water that you you mix it up instantly. I'll mix it up tonight. And then it doesn't actually have to live in the fridge after that, apparently. It can live wherever. And then the box comes with... 12 injections or something 12 syringes sorry and so i'll just use those every night and you just stick it into the thing take it out very carefully the air bubbles thing slightly freaks me out did they say like be careful of that well she said draw more and then squeeze it out basically but oh god i don't know yeah i just the thing is whenever i'm normally having an injection or a blood test i normally don't look but i feel like if you're injecting yourself you probably have to look that's going to be the weird thing it's like looking down at my stomach as i and I, I demonstrated in, in, in the nurse's office by really like jabbing quite hard on my stomach. She was like, no, 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 not like that. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to want to jab yourself, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll try and be a bit more gentle. So are you done with the nasal spray now? 
What happens now with the nasal spray is I go down, I half the dosage. Okay. So I go down to one spray a night now and one spray in the morning just to keep my brain still vaguely turned off from my ovaries while they pump me full of drugs so that while the eggs are busy being made, my brain isn't yet saying to the ovaries, release them, release them, fly, my pretties, fly. Um, <laughs> so then when it comes to the trigger injection in a couple of weeks, that's the signal to my ovaries that they can release yeah. What do they say in the lottery when they, like, is it release the balls? Release, <laughs> release the balls. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. That's the trigger injection. It's going to be release the balls. <laughs> That's so funny. And, and like, when you have a period, it releases an egg from one side, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. is it releasing from both sides now? Yeah. What she looked at in the hospital with the giant dildo was each ovary, and she counted the number of follicles on each ovary. So my right has 12 and my left has 10. And that should, that could mean 22 eggs, right? Because right. each follicle can produce an egg. But in theory, well, in theory it could. In practice, it won't. I mean, I would st- I, I'm therefore quite cheered by that because I'm quite hopeful of 10 plus would be nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, if, if it was less than 10 follicles, then you definitely wouldn't get 10 eggs, would you? So No, you, you physically can't. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I've got 22 altogether is good. Uh, my friend that I had lunch with yesterday, she got 32 eggs, she told me yesterday, which was quite right. unhelpful. Right. This is what's so weird about it. It becomes not competitive, obviously, but you do hear stories like that and you're like, oh, God, so unfair. <laughs> so we'll see. 32? Yeah, she's polycystic, though, so. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've now put in scan dates on Saturdays the next time I've got to go back, Saturday morning, and then Monday, Wednesday, and Friday next week, every morning. Okay, right. Before probably the operation on the following Monday. So I'm going back to the Lister five times, you know, in the next 10 days or two weeks, really. Quite nice to have it all, like, set in stone, like, this is when I'll be there. So, yeah, rather than waiting around and kind of being like, oh, when this happens... Yeah, then- exactly, I- I feel like up till now, exactly, it's been sort of waiting for things. And now it seems way more straightforward than I thought. I just go into the lister, my allotted days, they give me a scan, check that the dosage is all right, and then send me away again. I mean, probably in two weeks' time, I'll be weeping and 10 million stone and I'll feel very differently. But it sort of doesn't feel too complicated from here. What's the thing you're most excited about or most nervous about? I'm most nervous about stabbing myself with a needle tonight. And then excited about, I kind of, it is a bit like Christmas. Like, I want to know how many I get. That's the goal, right? That's the, that's the aim, um, is to get as many as possible. I'm simultaneously trying to not get my hopes up. But today was quite a boost, knowing that I've got 22 follicles, because I feel like, therefore, I should get a few. And, you know, you know, worst case scenario, I mean, worst case scenario, you get none. But I feel like even like three or four would be quite low, considering I've got 22 follicles. Although you might know roughly how many eggs you're hoping to get during this process, you won't know for sure until after the operation. It can make it feel sort of like you're gambling with your own body parts. I just tried to keep my fingers, and slightly cheesy toes, crossed that I would get a good number. As I've mentioned before, fertility experts recommend freezing 20 eggs for a good chance of one baby. Because some of the eggs collected won't be mature, or won't create successful embryos when they're thawed and fertilised, And then, of the embryos that do work, some might not implant properly to result in a pregnancy. There are a lot of potential drop-off stages. So if you don't get many eggs in one round, it might be worth doing two or three rounds, although some women have to do even more than that. As fertility expert Zeta West said in episode one, the younger you are, the more fertile you're likely to be, and the more eggs you tend to produce. So, you might ask, if you really wanted to, 
Why wouldn't you freeze your eggs at, say, 25 or 30? Well, aside from the social aspect at that point, there's plenty of time to meet someone and have babies with them, and the cash you have to stump up, there's also a legal reason. At the moment, if you're getting your eggs frozen for social reasons like I am, you can only keep them in the freezer for a maximum of 10 years. So if you froze your eggs at 25, they'd be destroyed when you reach 35. And then if at, say, 38 or 39, you were struggling to conceive, it would be too late. The clinic would have had to get rid of them. Mad, right? The law is different if you're getting your eggs frozen for non-social reasons. For example, you're about to go through a medical treatment like chemo, and that will affect your fertility. The time limit for egg freezing in those cases is 55 years, which, incidentally, is how long you can keep frozen sperm for, too. I asked Sarah Norcross, co-chair of the campaigning organisation Fertility Fairness, and also director of the Progress Educational Trust, about why the non-social limit was so much longer. Some women are offered the opportunity to freeze their eggs because they're going to be going through cancer treatment, treatment for Crohn's disease or some other condition that may compromise their fertility. If they are facing that scenario, they can then store those eggs for up to 55 years. And I think that was put in place to recognise that this could sometimes happen in very young girls. So it could happen when you're 13. Um, So they needed a longer storage period. And because that could also happen to teenage boys and they wanted to have some sort of equality here, you know, so it was thought because, you know, to give 55 years because that would then be fair to men and women. Right. Okay. But women who choose to freeze for their own personal reasons rather than a medical reason can only store up for 10 years. But if during that 10 year period they were to have a health issue that could compromise their fertility, then if they get the right paperwork in order, they can then extend their storage period to up to 55 years. So there's no evidence whatsoever, is there, just to be really clear on this point, that eggs decline over time. It's really not a sort of frozen lasagna in the freezer scenario they're perfectly safe for years right once they're frozen yes that's that's what the evidence suggests to put it mildly it seems ridiculous that there's a limit on how long someone like me could keep my eggs frozen when there's no medical reason for them to be destroyed so where did this limit come from i think the 10-year limit was plucked out of the air this is the completely magnificent baroness deitch who spent eight years leading the hfea the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority, which is basically the main government body for all things fertility-related. Baroness Deitch, or Ruth, as she's known to her pals, and Sarah are both campaigning hard to get the 10-year limit changed. I spoke to Ruth on Zoom in the middle of lockdown, and she was impeccably dressed while I was sort of in my pyjamas. Cool first impression, Sophia. Um, I want to kick off by first asking you why was the 10-year limit set for egg freezing in the first place? I think it was because egg freezing was originally envisaged only for youngish women who were facing cancer treatment. And the idea was to remove their eggs before they underwent treatment, store them, and then these women, assuming that they got better, would be able to use their eggs. And I think that explains why it was only 10 years, because it was thought that the women would have their cancer treatment. And because they were having their eggs removed, implicitly, they were planning a family. And that within 10 years, they would either get better and get on with it, or sadly, they would still be ill or worse and wouldn't use their eggs. 
Okay, so it was actually nothing to do, it was nothing to do with social egg freezing as it's called no. at all. No, the penny dropped a bit later. I think I was chair of the Human Fertilization Embryology Authority then. Mm -hmm. And a bit later, we were discussing human rights and equality as we did with many of our uh, innovations. And it occurred to us that legally it would be impossible, firstly, to define women who had medical reasons for freezing their eggs and women who didn't. And secondly, that it would be unfair and probably lead to litigation to say to one woman who was facing cancer treatment, you can freeze your eggs, but say to another woman in some different situation, no, you can't. So it soon occurred to us that we would have to allow all women to freeze their eggs, whatever the reason. I read once when I was researching all this, for instance, that there was this mad fear, for instance, that Britain might run out of freezer space because there'd be such a rush of women coming to freeze their eggs, which seems sort of hilariously mad to me. Was that, is, that, is there any truth in that? Well, there is a resonance there. And there was quite a scandal in the early 1990s because there were a lot of frozen embryos which had to be allowed to perish unless the owners came forward and claimed them and renewed the storage. Okay. And what happened, the clinics would write to people. And remember, those were before the days of email. They'd write to people saying, we have your frozen embryos. We have to let them perish unless you tell us that you want them kept. And people didn't answer. All the addresses were wrong. Wow. And I can understand a fear, not that we'd run out of freezing space, but that eggs would be stored. And then the person who stored them would vanish and be uncontactable. Right. Clinics will have an awful dilemma. Do they let them perish and then the person turns up the next day or do they keep them indefinitely because it was much harder then to contact people? It's not that much easier now as we've seen <laughs> in the recent pandemic. Yes. But I think not being able to contact people, having women who changed their addresses and hadn't got in touch with their clinics, that was a very real fear. Okay, so it was, it was practical. There were practical yes, reasons. It was it. practical. Okay. I honestly cannot imagine going through all this, the drugs, the scans, the expense, and then sort of abandoning my eggs in the freezer. But of course, there could be a multitude of different circumstances behind that decision. I also get that, even just a few years ago, egg freezing was so new that people didn't really know how to legislate it. But now we have a better understanding. It seems crazy and discriminatory to be stuck with this law. Why do you now therefore believe so strongly that it should be changed? Well, I've had a lot of sad letters, emails from women who froze their eggs maybe when they were 30 or early 30s, and they still haven't found a partner or decided what to do. Their eggs will be destroyed after 10 years. It's now roughly a decade since egg freezing took off. So the women who froze their eggs 10 years ago have this awful fate before them. Now I know there is no particular sense in that 10-year rule. Why are we putting women through this agony mm. when it's unnecessary? Ruth mentioned it's been roughly a decade since egg freezing took off. What she's referring to here is the fact that around 2010, clinics started offering vitrification, which I talked to Dr James about in episode three. This was the new freezing technique that increased the success rates of the process. I mean, the laws of sperm can be frozen for up to 55 years in this country, which seems so staggeringly discriminatory. How was that justified? 
Well, we start from the assumption that a man's fertility never diminishes, or at least never diminishes seriously. Mm. We've all read about wrinkly old pop stars who are 75 <laughs> or 80, and you know they have children. And they're great, you know. Yeah. If a woman did it; it'd be a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if a man freezes his sperm, he's not doing it because his fertility is going to diminish. He's doing it because there's a medical reason, or he's going to war somewhere very dangerous, and he might not come back. And he wants to leave his sperm for his partner to use. So the social reasons were quite different. And it was known uh, then that freezing sperm was relatively easy compared to freezing eggs. Uh Because this has happened in animal breeding for years and years. And it's known that sperm can be frozen quite safely. So men were given that option because... You know, they would remain um, within the acceptable age range of being a father. And they were only likely to do it if they were facing cancer treatment or being sent to fight somewhere abroad. Ha, the acceptable range. I think Ruth very much had acceptable in air quotes there. Bernie Eccleston was 89 when he had his son earlier this year. Imagine the fuss if a woman somehow managed that. Anyway, how does my pal the Baroness suggest this should be changed? It's now time to have the same period for sperm, eggs and embryos. The most sensible suggestion I've seen is that eggs, indeed embryos too, should be stored on a rolling cycle of 10 years and that every 10 years, or if you like five years, the clinic should get in touch with the woman and say, do you still want those eggs to remain in storage? Mm -hmm. An alternative is to decide on a case-by-case basis. There are some countries in the world where the woman appears before a panel they ask her whether she has plans still to become a mother or what she wants. But as we have growing numbers of women freezing their eggs, I think that would be impracticable in terms of numbers. But I think a rolling period of, say, 10 years or even five years, so that you've got to contact her every now and then, find out where she is and what her plans are, I think that's practicable. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Although under the current legislation, I wouldn't have to think about this until 2030, I wanted to know what women who are coming up to that 10-year limit are doing with their eggs. Back to Sarah Norcross from Fertility Fairness. So currently, what happens to women who are, who are coming up? You know, they might have had their eggs in the freezer for nine years. They haven't used them yet. They may still want to use them. What decisions do they face? So are there are a number of decisions for women here. The stark one is to destroy. Another one is to think about converting them into embryos. So fertilizing them with the sperm of the partner that they have or using donor sperm. Then can they extend it for another? 10 years, yeah. 
oh, I didn't realise that. I mean, not that that's an ideal situation, but I, you know, if they say, say that was me and I was approaching the 10-year limit with eggs and I still, you know, hasn't made my mind up about children and I, it wasn't quite the right time, I can see why, actually, as a last resort, that's, yeah, I mean, it's, again, not ideal, but, yeah, an option. Okay, so destroy them, uh, make them embryos. Yeah, or export them. So apply for a, a licence to export them to a clinic overseas, which may have more generous provision. Yeah, I read that Spain, because Spain has no limit, right? Yeah, I've heard about people taking them to Spain. Now, it's not a straightforward option, and you need quite a long lead-in time, because there's a lot to get sorted out, and you have to get, you know, a licence from the HFEA to do that, and that can take a period of time as well. So it's really important that, you know, right at the beginning of your last year, you're thinking about what you want to do and get, you know, not leaving it to the last month or something like that, because that's not going to be enough time if you're looking to export them. Or even if you're looking to import, you know, if you end up wanting to import sperm to fertilise the eggs with, you know, these things take more time. So you need to probably start in your last two years thinking, right, what am I going to do now? I can't put this off. Sarah mentioned converting eggs to embryos there and freezing them again, which is something I'd never considered before, but is an interesting idea. I guess it's like defrosting raw chicken, making a casserole with it, and then sticking it back in the freezer. If you choose to freeze embryos, it's the same process as having your eggs frozen. The only difference is that they're fertilised in the lab before going in the freezer. The question of freezing embryos rather than eggs is a big one, which I go into more detail about later in the series. Aside from meaning individual women wouldn't be up against the 10-year limit on storing their eggs, I was curious about what impact Baroness Deitch thought changing the law would have on the industry as a whole. If the law would change, as I very much hope it will be, and the ministry's consulting right now, I would advise a woman in her mid-20s to do it because the eggs are, of course, much more viable in her mid-20s. And the reason women don't do it now is that those eggs would be up for being destroyed in their mid-30s, which is an age when they might seriously be thinking, am I ever going to find a partner? Am I ever going to be a mother? So unless the law changes, which I hope it will, if a woman is now in her mid-30s, I would say, go on, go and get your eggs frozen now before they begin to age. Those poor eggs are getting older all the time. Do it now. TikTok. What about the money, though? I mean, if you're saying to get women in their mid-20s, I certainly couldn't have afforded it then. I mean, do you expect that price, you know, would come down? I think this is a real dilemma in fertility treatment. Most fertility treatment is not on the NHS. It's private. It is very, very expensive. And I'm sure many people have read stories in newspapers about couples who mortgage their homes and borrow from family to get fertility treatment. It is expensive, whether it's treatment or whether it's freezing eggs. And I wish the NHS would do it, but I quite understand the reasons why they say they can't afford to do it. I I understand that. It would be nice if they did. But I hope women would take the plunge and freeze their eggs. And if more and more women do it, if more clinics begin to compete on price, that might bring it down. I feel really strongly about this. I would love for egg freezing to become less expensive and more accessible. And I should probably also point out here that it's not just a one-off payment. Once you've spent around five grand on the treatment and collection, you have to pay annual storage fees, which vary from clinic to clinic. At the Lister, where I'm having my treatment, the storage fees are 350 quid a year, or about 30 quid a month. 
So how confident are you then that it will change? What's the sort of timeline for that? I'm fairly optimistic, partly because of the pandemic, because of the current virus crisis. The Department of Health has allowed all women whose eggs are in storage now to add an extra two years. Oh, great. I because that. the infertility treatment has been paused during the crisis. And the department, or praise to them, has given everybody whose eggs are in storage two extra years. The department has put out a consultation. I'm sure that everyone who's responded has called for an extension. And the consultation closed in May. And I'm very, very hopeful that the department will listen, will be kind, will be intelligent, will be humane and empathetic, and will change the law. Simultaneously, I have a private member's bill going through the House of Lords which is calling on the department to consult, which they've done, but it also calls on the department to respond rapidly. And if there is no movement soon, I will revive my bill and I will try and put pressure on the department to respond. How do you do that? I mean, I know there's been a petition going round. Yes. The trouble with the petition is this is is a bit of a niche interest. Um, When people understand what it's about, they're sympathetic, but most people have never heard of it. So you're never going to get thousands or hundreds of thousands of women petitioning, which is a shame. But I will do what I can with the assistance of other campaigners to put pressure on the department to get on with it. By asking questions in Parliament, by getting people to sign the petition, by generally publicising the issue as you are doing today, which is great. We didn't actually have to leave in that last bit where Baroness Deitch paid me a compliment. But how often do you get compliments from a Baroness? More often than I get compliments on Hinge, that's for sure. Ruth and Sarah have been campaigning to extend the limit for years now. Although, as ever, when it comes to the law, nothing happens overnight. I'm really confident that the law will be changed. Um, I'm not quite sure when. Well, I'm, I'm not at all sure when, but I'm sure it will change quite what it will look like. I don't know. When I've talked to somebody previously about this topic, they've said, fear is that once you open the HFEA Act, it's a sort of Pandora's box and lots of quite controversial ethical things could be up for discussion. Is that true? Yes, they always worry about opening the opening the Act as if it's some sort of, you know, gate to Voldemort. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to unleash all sorts of terrible things. Um, but there are arguments here as to whether they actually need to open the Act in order to do this. So they could extend it without opening it? They could perhaps do that without opening the Act. Okay. Also, you know, um, they've managed to extend the limit for women who've already frozen because of the coronavirus pandemic. Right. Um, you know, I know that's emergency legislation, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, mm. you know, there is a little bit of a precedent there. Um, so it is a, a bridge to law reform, actually, and it should be very useful going forward. And I think now, you know, they've had a lot of responses to their public consultation. And I think that there will be movement on this, but it's just a question of when it will be, because I imagine there's going to be um, even more pressure on parliamentary time yeah. going forward, which is always difficult at the best of times. But it depends on the minister really as well in that he may think this is an issue that he could win some approval from women for you know um, if it's seen as something that yes it's something positive we've done a lot of groundwork we can move fairly quickly on this you know it very much depends on whether he thinks it's one of his uh, policy initiatives yeah and that would be Matt Hancock really Yes. Well I can also see that during obviously a public health sort of you know disaster there might 
the other more pressing or not necessarily more pressing but you know they might deem that other things should take priority i guess mm. so fingers crossed yeah you never know in politics yeah <laughs> they want a good news story <laughs> My fingers are extremely tightly crossed. The government opened a consultation earlier this year, but the results aren't expected anytime soon. And while tinkering with legislation can be very slow, with Sarah and the Baroness, the process is in excellent hands. Personally, I probably wouldn't be hugely affected if nothing changes, because in 10 years' time, I'll be 45, and either have had children, or I won't have done, and I'll have made peace with it. But as I touched on earlier, a change could massively help younger women like Amy Hart, for instance, who I spoke to in episode two. She's only 27, but gearing up for freezing. And yet, as the law currently stands, her eggs would have to be destroyed when she's 37. Crazy. It's essentially penalising any woman who has the foresight to freeze her eggs as early as possible. OK, drumroll please. And now it's the moment you've all been waiting for. After the scan in the morning and my territorial struggle with the spring onions in the fridge, I had to inject myself for the first time. I've just got the box of Menopure out of the fridge. Here goes. Oh my God, this box. I've never seen anything so medical. First of all, okay, I have to dilute the water into this little um, pot of powder. Okay. I mean, it looks a lot freaking easier in train spotting. Okay, and then I'm putting the second syringe of water into the little pot of powder to dissolve it all, to mix it up. Right, so there we have, I now have a fully mixed pot of Menopure. So this is now the sick bit, because what I've got to do now is fill up a syringe. Ugh. So I'm opening the syringe, which is going to be stabbed into my stomach now. Hang on. Oh, I need to do the alcohol thing on my stomach. This is so weird. Okay. Then I take that off. I mean, people say this becomes normal. Does it become normal? I mean, that is a massive air bubble. Okay, so then I want 225. That still looks like a bit of an air bubble. Oh god, this is making me so sick, I'm going to do it wrong. So then that comes out. Oh god, this is the moment. 225. Pinch a bit of fat. Okay, in it goes. Oh my god, okay. I'm pushing down the plunger. Very slowly. Oh, it does sting a bit. Oh god, gross. Okay, and then pull it out. Oh, okay, I feel a bit faint. Okay, needles out. I can't even really see a pinprick. Oh my god, I definitely feel a bit weird though. I think my heart rate's gone up. Okay, so that's done. Actually, that really wasn't that bad. So I now need to throw away this needle. Okay, that wasn't so bad. Oh god. One down, uh, probably 13 or so to go. In the next episode, the side effects start to kick in, and I chat egg-freezing parties, the Kardashians, and the boom in fertility tourism with two experts from around the world. 
I joke and I say, I want every woman to know that she can get their eggs frozen, just like she knows she can go and get her boobs done. Wherever you feel more comfortable, that has a much more permissive regime, we would advise you to go there. There is also places that are a lot cheaper. Freezing Time was produced and written by Hannah Varrell and Sophia Monikoots and created by Offscript. If you're interested in lending your support to the Extend the Limit campaign, then you can visit change.org forward slash extend the limit to sign the petition. Remember, you can subscribe to Freezing Time on your favourite podcast app. And please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share on social media. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.